Open your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew 9. Matthew 9. The miracles of Jesus are front and center in Matthew 8 and Matthew 9. We read about a powerful Christ that nothing can stop. May our hearts and minds stand in awe of Him. In Matthew 9, let's just begin reading with verse 18 and we'll read through verse 34. And there'll be four miracles within this account. While he was saying these things to them, an official came. Now, you notice, sorry to pause so quickly, but you notice the New American Standard is synagogue in italics. It's not in the original text. It just says an official. We read those details from Mark and Luke. While he was still saying these things to them, an official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hands on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, daughter, take courage, your faith has made you well. At once the woman was made well. When Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he said, leave, the, leave. The girl has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. And when the crowd had been sent out, he entered and took her by the hand. And the girl stood up, and the news spread throughout all the land. As Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed, crying out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came up to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes and saying, It shall be done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread the news about him throughout all the land. As they were going out, a mute, demon-possessed man was brought to him. After the demon was cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds were amazed and were saying, Nothing like this has been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, He cast out demons by the ruler of demons. Matthew tells these accounts much more briefly than Mark. Mark's accounts in Mark 5 and Luke's, in Mark 5 is about twice as long as what Matthew says about these two miracles combined in verses 18 through verses 26. The text emphasizes that Jesus raises a girl from the dead and in the meantime also he heals a woman with a hemorrhage of blood who has been bleeding for 12 years. 
Each of the Gospels treat these the same way. Each of these Gospels put the story of the woman in the midst of the raising of the girl from the dead. Now let's look at this account a little bit more closely. The Bible tells us when he was saying these things, this official bowed down. Now, in Mark's account, in Luke's account, not only do we find it's a synagogue official... But we find out in those passages the name of the synagogue official. His name was Jairus. And he bowed before him and says, my daughter has just died. I recognize there's a difference in the Gospels that we want to allude to in a moment. But right now let's focus on Matthew. My daughter has just died. Please come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And they got up. They got up. And began, Jesus got up and began to follow him. And so did his disciples. As Jesus is on the way with this pressing concern, there is another concern he encounters. There is a woman who has been suffering from this hemorrhage of blood for 12 years. And you understand, according to Leviticus 15... That in this process of time, she was prohibited from going to the temple. And anything that she touched or she would lie on is rendered unclean as a result of that. Anyone in this crowd she touches is unclean. And so the text tells us here in Matthew chapter 9 that this woman has suffered much for 12 years. Now... Mark's account tells us she has suffered much at the hands of many different doctors and hasn't gotten better but gotten worse. And she spent all her money. So she is not only sick, but she is now poor. And she comes to Jesus thinking, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. She touches his garment. Jesus' daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. They continue on to the official's house. There are flute players. There are mourners. And even the Jewish, the small, the poorest Jewish home was required to hide mourners. And flute players to mourn the death of someone. Their presence here is proof of her death. And as these flute players and these mourners are, are grieving, Jesus said, Leave. The girl is not dead, but is asleep. Now that's not a statement. That she's not literally dead. But it is a recognition of what what he is about to do. But these professional mourners, they're familiar with death. And what does this man know about death? And they begin to laugh him to scorn. But he has them to all leave. And Jesus sent them out. And took the girl by the hand. And she got up. To touch a dead person, to even walk in a room with a dead person 
made one ceremonially unclean in Numbers 19, verses 11 through 22. But you see, this touch doesn't bring cleanness. It doesn't bring death. Uncleanness, it doesn't bring death. It brings life. He touches her and raises her from the dead. Now, I ask you to turn with me to Mark 5. I want to make a point. It is very difficult when you're looking at one gospel, particularly because Matthew records this differently than Mark and Luke, to know how much to incorporate from the other gospels. But I think there are a couple of points that we need to make at this time to try to understand a bigger point. It is striking to me in the Gospels that death is the final frontier. It is the greatest obstacle to overcome. And I think that this account in Mark helps to demonstrate. In Mark's account, in Mark 5, in verses 21 through 24, when when Jesus encounters Jairus and Jairus falls at his feet and he's imploring him he's begging him my daughter is at the point of death now Luke tells us she was 12 years old but my daughter's at the point of death please come and heal her the Bible tells us about this interruption This woman who'd suffered much at the hands of many doctors comes up and touches the hem of his garment. And Jesus said, who touched me? He calls attention to it. He has conversation with her. He tells the woman, your faith has made you well. But as Jesus is speaking these words, look at Mark 5. Mark 5 and verse 35. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official saying, your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher? anymore what is striking to me is Jairus and those around him believe that Jesus could raise up this girl from her deathbed they believe that but when death has come that's final and it's over They are inviting Jesus, come, heal her. She's at the point of death. But when she's died, they deliver the sad message to Jairus. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher anymore? And Jesus says, don't be afraid. But believe. The most famous case of Jesus raising someone from the dead is Lazarus. Only recorded in the Gospel of John. And Jesus delayed so that Lazarus would be dead when he got there. He intentionally delayed. And do you remember what Mary and Martha say to him? In John 11 verse 21, in John 11 verse 32, they both say the same thing. They say, Lord, if you had been here, Our brother would not have died. They know that Jesus can heal the sick. They know that Jesus can heal those who are destined for death and on the verge of death. They know that. Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. 
And even when Jesus is weeping at the tomb in John eleven thirty five, 35, that short verse, Jesus wept. The crowd says they marvel how he loved them. And in verse 37, the crowd says, Could not this one who opened the eyes of the blind have kept this man from dying? They all know that Jesus can stop someone from dying. But when Jesus comes to the tomb and says, Roll away the stone, Martha protests and says, Lord, by this time he's been dead four days and his body will begin to stink. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe that you will see the glory of God? My point is, this and every time Jesus raises the dead should lead us to stand in awe. That Jesus has the power to raise people from sickness, to heal all kinds of diseases. But Jesus has the power to raise the dead. Our third miracle. Jesus is approached by two blind men in verse 27. Have mercy on us, son of David. Have mercy on us. And Jesus asked the blind men. He entered the house and the blind men came to him. And he said, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said, yes. And he touched their eyes and said, may it be done according to your faith. Faith was important in the woman's healing in verse 22. It is important in the healing of these two blind men in verse 29. Your faith, uh, be it done to you according to your faith. And he sternly warned them to see that they tell no one about it. One of the things that is interesting to me is the term son of David is used nine times in the Gospel of Matthew. Just in the first verse, Jesus Christ, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He is the one who fulfills messianic expectations. It is connected at least three times. It's used about nine times, as I stated, in the Gospel of Matthew. And three of these times on the slide here, it is specifically connected with opening the eyes of the blind. Now, one of you recently asked me uh, about that. Why is it that the term son of David is particularly concentrated in the healing of the blind? I don't remember who asked me. But I remember I didn't have a good answer. But this is one thing I thought about. Blind people call him the son of David. There's enough evidence here that the blind can see. But the smartest people in all the country are going to reject it. Maybe that's the point. Because when you get to Matthew 15, there's going to be a Gentile in there. of him as the son of David in verse 22. A Gentile woman. A Gentile woman. The blind can see it. 
But the religious leaders who spend their time in examination of scriptures can. That's interesting. But when Jesus tells people, when Jesus tells people, keep it quiet, don't tell it, do any of those people ever obey? When he's told us to tell it, do we keep it quiet? Do we keep it quiet? In the final miracle, there's a mute man. He can't speak. He's possessed by a demon. And being possessed by a demon had many physical problems in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, excuse me. And the Bible tells us that as Jesus cast out the demon, the crowds are amazed. They say nothing like this has been seen in Israel. But the Pharisees say The Pharisees said he cast out demons by the ruler of demons. They can't deny the power, but they do deny the source of the power. It's not God. He's only doing it by the power of demons. Now, I wanted to make the point about opening the eyes of the blind. I want you to look at this. I want you to look for this. If you can somehow... Point this point out that I'm wrong, and I'll be glad not to say this because I haven't counted all these up. But Leon Morris argues in his commentary of the Gospel of John that the miracle that Jesus does most often is opening the eyes of the blind. You know what's striking about that? Is you don't really have a parallel to that anywhere in the Old Testament. Open the eyes of the blind. You, the closest thing is in 17 6, where some were temporarily blinded for a moment to be led into a city. And you don't really have a parallel to that in Acts. The closest thing where Paul has had a temporary blindness and Ananias lays his hands on him and scales fell off of his eyes. It's the closest thing that you have. And look over at Matthew 10. Look over at Matthew 10. In Matthew 10, the Bible says, Jesus summoned his disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. He mentions in verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. He does not specifically mention there opening the eyes of the blind. Doesn't mention that. And we don't have a record of a disciple doing that kind of miracle. If this is the kind of miracle that Jesus does most frequently. And if this is a miracle that nobody else does. Maybe this miracle in a special way shows Jesus to be the Messiah. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6, the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, 
the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. These miracles in a special way show that He is the Son of David. He is the one they're waiting for. He is the one that's promised. In a couple of chapters, John the Baptist is going to ask, are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And he said, go and tell John what you see and hear. And mentions the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, and the poor having the gospel preached to them. Jesus' miracles show that he is the promised Messiah. But also, I want you to think about what Jesus does. Jesus gives life to the dead. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. And he causes the mute to speak. God said, and look up the whole passage, because there's much more there that's worthy of attention. But in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, God is claiming to be the only God, and he says... It is I who put to death. The Lord God said that. And in Psalm 46, 146, excuse me, in verse 8, the Lord opens the eyes of the blind. In Exodus 4, in verse 11, the question is asked, who made man's mouth? Or who makes him mute or deaf or seen or blind? That actually encompasses a couple of miracles. What I'm trying to stress is that in the Old Testament, it's God who does each of these things. It is God who gives life to the dead. It is God who opens the eyes of the blind. It is God who gives the mute the ability to speak. These miracles show us that this man who takes the dead by the hand and raises them is God coming a flesh. Now let me suggest something to you. If you are one who knows this story well, if you're one who knows the story well, part of the purposes of these lessons are to equip you to explain this in a clear way and a succinct way to the non-Christians that surround you. I think when people see his great power, they stand in awe. But I'll tell you something that should cause us to stand in awe to When 
When you just read the text and you read the text and you think about what is this saying, look at the words. I'll tell you something that struck out, that stuck out to me. Let's read verses 18 and 19 again. While he was saying these things to them, an official came and bowed down before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. And Jesus got up and began to follow him. Let me tell you why that word struck me. Look at Matthew 9, 9, what we studied last week. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. Those words, follow me, were uttered to Matthew. Matthew, you leave everything and you follow me. It's the same Greek word. Same English word. So you may have suspected that. It's the same Greek word as well. Look back at chapter 8. At chapter 8. Remember one of the men said in verse 21 and 22, it said another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now that word follow is used in other places in this this context. Beside 9-9 and beside 8-22. But the reason that I am stressing those verses is those are words God uses to call men into service. He tells us, follow me. Let the dead bury their dead. You follow me. He says, follow me to Matthew. And Matthew leaves everything, Luke's account tells us, and follows him. And now you see this one who is God, this one who raises the dead, this one who opens the eyes of the blind, this one who causes the mute to speak when he is begged by this official, a group that's generally hostile to him, when he's begged by him, come with me. Jesus followed him. Our God is a God who serves. He serves. He followed this man in his family crisis as he calls us to follow him. This God who opens the eyes of the blind and raises the dead. This God serves us. And the whole life of Jesus and all the miracles of Jesus are living proof of that. As we talked about in Matthew 8 verse 20 when we were there, look at what Jesus was willing to experience. Foxes have old birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. 
He comes not to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. And I would say too, that what He's done in these texts is a picture of what He does for each of us. And look particularly at verses 20 through 22. In 20 through 22, this woman with a hemorrhage for 12 years came up and touched the hem of His garment. And she said, if I touch His garment, I will get well. And Jesus said, daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well. Now, that term made well in the New American standard is used three times in verse 21 in verse 22 she's thinking I'll get well if I touch him Jesus says your faith has made you well and then the summary of the statement but that word made well is the same word that is used in the New Testament to speak of salvation while it is stated other places In the Gospels, this is the only time in the Gospel of Matthew that Jesus says to someone, your faith has made you well, has saved you. What Jesus has done in raising the dead, in opening the eyes of the blind, In causing the mute to speak. What Jesus has done is a picture of what he does for each of us. When we come to him. Let me illustrate. You know this very well. A certain man had two sons. The younger had spent, the younger went to his father and said, Give me the share of the estate that falls to me. And the father gave him his share of the estate, and he went to a far country and spent a wild living. And the Bible tells us that there was a famine in the country, and he began to be in need. And he found a job feeding swine. And, and he finally comes to his senses as he's feeding swine, longing to eat what they ate. And he says, my father's hired servants have more than enough bread. And I am perishing here with hunger. I'm going to get up and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me as a hired servant. But he starts giving that spiel. The father says, no, let's bring the fattened calf and kill it. For this son of mine was dead. And he's alive. Do you know the thing? Being overwhelmed with sin. Guilt and knowing that you're lost and you're headed to hell only to recognize I will turn to Him for forgiveness, I will turn to Him for salvation, I will turn to Him for His mercy and His grace. 
and to be washed in the waters of baptism and to come up free from sin and free from guilt. You were dead and you've been brought to life. And you were blind and you see. In Acts 26, in verse 18, as Paul is describing the purpose of his preaching in one of the three places in Acts where he tells the story of his conversion, he says that his point was to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. We live in a world of blind men groping for life and groping for direction. Many of these blind men and blind women are successful in every worldly way. They have educational degrees. They have all kinds of money. They've done well in their job. And they don't know what life is all about. And I'm not using that to mock them. For we were all there. But Jesus opens the eyes of the blind and causes them to see. His miracles are a picture of what He does in saving each of us. May we think about that and see how he has rescued us as we talked about in Esther today, Brad talked about, how he's rescued us from destruction. Let us pray. Oh Lord our God, you are worthy of praise. You have not hidden yourself. But you have revealed yourself in a dramatic and meaningful and memorable way. You have revealed yourself and your power and your greatness. May we, O God, stand in awe of what you have done. And may we stand in awe of the fact that we were dead and you've given us life. That we were blind and you give us eyes to see. May we continually stand in awe of you. For any in our audience who are blind and dead, may they consider the fact that you give life and you open the eyes of the blind. In Jesus we pray. Amen. For we offer you an opportunity
to do what the Lord asks you to do, to enter into a relationship with Him. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again, if you believe that this Jesus who raised the dead was raised from the dead, that He overcame death, that He can provide you salvation, if you believe that, and you're willing to turn from your sins in repentance and be baptized for remission of sins, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.